Hello, I'm Justin Wheeler, and welcome to this episode of Nonstop Nonprofit. Welcome back, nonprofit friends. Nonstop Nonprofit has a whole new season ahead, and we're kicking it off with a compilation series loaded with live interviews from AFP Icon 2022. Hang out at our booth with us and talk to nonprofit's brightest stars about trends, impact, and the future of fundraising. As a bonus, we're capping this series off with the best clips from last season. So if you're new to the podcast, stick with us. You'll get all the goods in a fraction of the time. Episode two of our compilation series features panelists from AFP, Julia Campbell, Chirian Koshi, and Rachel Muir. Let's dive in. It is your number one priority to ensure that your business can continue to deliver on its mission, whether it's this year, next year, and beyond. So we're creating this inclusive environment, building between diverse communities to ensure that our young people can thrive. I'm always so baffled when I when I do webinars. There's always somebody at the end who raises their hand and says, I'm the development director. Should I have access to the budget? I'm always like, yes, you've got to know that. The best thing you can ever do as a nonprofit leader is spend as much money as possible on your story then you're doing it wrong okay that is unacceptable and that is not the way to run a board the best thing that we can do is just raise as much money as possible and then give it to the people around the world if you're going to be sustainable you have to have a multi-channel strategy to reach all of these different generations of donors however they want to be reached one of the principal values that we carry as an organization is to lift grace over guilt and we believe that grace is the greatest agent for change that anyone can experience. We all need each other in terms of other nonprofits working together to solve things. The more nonprofits can give their donor base that experience of the impact that's being made on the ground level, there's nothing else you have to give someone. This is Nonstop Nonprofit. In our first segment, we've got Julia Campbell digital storyteller and nonprofit social media expert. Listen in as she goes over the ins and outs of social media and explains why nonprofits have every reason to be controversial. Julia, thank you so much for spending a few minutes with us here at AFP. How's it going? Thank you. It's going really well. It's a great turnout and gorgeous weather, and I'm just psyched to be here. Is this your first in-person conference since the pandemic? or No, I did a couple last year in okay. June, like the hot vac summer. And then I've, I was actually back in Vegas last October for a different conference, um, but it was very different, way less people, way fewer people, yeah. masked, very, I was kind of nervous about it. This it, one, I'm, I'm this not one, that It feels like it's kind of like pre-2020, to, it right? It does. Yeah. It feels like we're back to 2019. Maybe, I mean, hopefully we'll be back next year to the same level, but. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you are a social media guru. Um, and so we have to start with the obvious question, <laughs> Elon Musk buying Twitter. <laughs> what, what are your thoughts around that? Well, I'm not an Elon Musk fan. Okay. I think that he's a bit of what we call like an edgelord. Like he is not quite a troll, but he works towards controversy. I also really disagree with his philosophy that Twitter should have more free speech and less regulation. I actually think that the social media companies, Meta and, and Twitter and all of them should have more regulation instead of less. So I'm not sure what he has planned, yeah. but I'm not really a fan of turning it into a private company. 
I love Twitter. I've actually built a lot of relationships on Twitter. A lot of the people I met here have been on Twitter. And I don't want it to turn into the cesspool that I feel kind of Facebook has turned into. Yeah. So I, I don't know. It remains to be seen, given the benefit of the doubt, but I'm, I'm not a fan. Yeah. You know, one thing I saw he said in an interview recently, and I had, I had zero intention of actually asking you this, but sure. here we are. Here we are. Um, I think you have an interest in It's technology. important implications for a nonprofit, yeah. I think. And he was asked about uh, philanthropy. Yeah. Ooh. And he, he said, uh, you know, very Elon Musk-esque, he said that, you know, he would consider himself one of the biggest philanthropists in the world. And uh, he's like, not because of like how much like dollars I'm, I'm donating to charity, but is if, if we all agree that philanthropy is advancing like the human race forward, like then if you look at what I've done with the electric car right. industry, right. what I'm doing with like space, what I'm doing with all these other companies, he's like, these all have like very positive social impact like on, on, our, on our world. Right. And I was like, oh, that's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I don't fully agree with it, but kind of what are your thoughts? It's a very convenient definition of philanthropy. The world's richest man is talking about philanthropy not in terms of dollars given, but in terms of business yeah. exploits that he's making money from. Yeah. So I, Mark Zuckerberg talks about it in the exact same way. So to me, I think the implications for nonprofits and businesses and brands in general are do we want these these huge billionaires, often they're kind of narcissistic. Yeah. Um, do we want them running what essentially are the town halls for a lot of people? I mean, if you think about WhatsApp, WhatsApp's been called, you know, the greatest unregulated utility because people across the world rely on WhatsApp to communicate with friends and family. Yep. If you think about Instagram, think about Facebook, I mean, all of these platforms, they do have the potential for social good, but if they're unregulated and if they're left up to these billionaires who kind of are out of touch with reality. I just don't think, I don't think anything good's going to come of it. I think we're just going to keep spiraling down these same paths. Yeah. So I don't believe in breaking them up, but I do believe in more regulation. I don't necessarily know what that looks like, Yeah. but I, I do think that we're at a reckoning point right now. Yeah. That makes sense. Makes sense. One, one, like one takeaway I had from it was if you like take a look, like put, put aside like, you know, the characters yeah, and yeah. you look at, organizations working on like climate change for for example like yeah. nonprofits yep. and their ability to scale and the impact they're making and then well, compare look at it Black to Black Lives Matter you know me too yeah 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 mm -hmm. right and so it's like it's 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 an interesting like i think it's an interesting thought experiment for nonprofit leaders to go through of like in order for us to solve the problem that we're trying to tackle right. how big do we have to be like how much scale do we have to achieve and again like not every nonprofit needs to be a billion dollar you know organization and in, in, in some degrees they start to get less impactful at, at that at that size mm -hmm. but it's an interesting i think exercise to think about if you're if you're solving a, pro a problem that's particularly complex and big impacting you know billions of people right it's an interesting thing to to, to, right. to discuss so i i do get asked a question pretty frequently should nonprofits still be on social media and i just think that that question is oversimplifying it. I think what you're saying is is a little more nuanced because we have to realize the power that it has. I mean, if you look at the marriage equality movement, actually people were criticizing the marriage equality movement when everyone turned their profile picture, you know, into the equal sign. Yeah. And Obama very famously lit up the White House with rainbow yeah. colors and everyone was posting about it. But that kind of awareness and normalization of something is really powerful. So it's called slacktivism, you know, tweeting about something, posting about something, changing your profile picture. Um, it's perceived as not as powerful as maybe donating or volunteering. But I still think 
normalizing these kinds of things. Like yeah. if everyone is hearing about something like maybe Giving Tuesday or Giving Day or we're all giving money, we're all doing Facebook fundraisers, nobody is actually, you know, for my birthday, I don't want any more painted wine glasses. I had a painted wine glass collection. <laughs> They're $28. What the hell am I doing with 90 painted wine glasses that I just break, right? So for me, doing a Facebook fundraiser is much more fulfilling, yeah. but also for my friends too. And it exposes them to causes that I care about, maybe things that they haven't heard about. Yeah. So there's the exposure factor. There's the the impact factor, I think, because there's not that direct line where you can say, oh, I tweeted, and then all of a sudden, you know, the Supreme Court voted pro on marriage equality. But it all adds up at the end of the day. And I think any way you can normalize talking around like environmental justice, environmental change, climate change, talking about it constantly, bringing it up to your friends and family. I really believe that that kind of awareness does make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What's what's your advice to nonprofits who um, who maybe have like active uh, digital presence, you know, across social media, but maybe haven't like activated it from like a fundraising perspective? Right. How do you help nonprofits guide them through sort of that yes. activation? Well, first of all, I think that's great. So if you're building a community but you've not activated them for fundraising, keep building the community yeah. because you have to look at it as making deposits into a bank. So when I built my business, I had I had clients, but I knew I wanted to sell online courses. So I built my email list, I wrote my blog, I constantly was providing free webinars and free value and, and building up that affinity and that trust and credibility and I wish nonprofits would look less at social media like a transactional platform and more like building that community that then you can go to them and say, you know, for instance, I have a client who they're trying to end the dog and cat meat trade um, at the Yulin Festival, that famous dog meat festival in China. And they are constantly posting about here's what we're doing. Here's some legislative wins we've had. Here's some amazing things we're doing. And then they activate them and say, okay, now everyone call your legislators, tweet about it, raise some money, $10 goes a long way. But without that context, it doesn't work. It falls flat. And I think nonprofits were sold a bill of goods. They were sold some snake oil. We said, okay, well, not we, but me, definitely in the early days of social media, said set up a Facebook page and you'll just, you put up your link, tweet out your link, put a LinkedIn your link, and the donations are going to roll in. And now we realize there has to be a lot of community building and trust building up before that can yeah. happen. So they've got to play the long game here. It's like exercise. It's like diet. It's like anything else. You've got to play the long game and, and stop thinking of it like an ATM. Yeah, you know? absolutely. It's almost not that over. <laughs> it's all right. I'm like yeah. my hands. <laughs> Next thing you know, the back drop. Oh, it's going to yeah. fall over. <laughs> so I was, I was at Invisible Children for a long time. And um, oh. yeah, I was one of the founding team members there. Wow. And you know, we, we got criticized all the time for slacktivism, right? Because like we had, I mean, we were, our audience, our ideal donor, our ideal donor profile was a 16 year old, right? Yeah. So there was, like when we would build strategy, like we're targeting 16 year olds, time Facebook was just kind of like, you know, becoming a lot, it was cool. It was much cooler to 16 year olds back then than it is yep. to 16 year olds today. And we had built an enormous community on, online and hadn't actually asked them to, to fundraise or donate or anything like that. But we knew that like this was like strong community. I think one of the best use cases of that community that we had was we had this event called The Rescue. 
and yeah. we, had, we were in 15 cities, and it was a demonstration uh, to basically, uh, we yep. were trying to get a policy passed in, in Congress, yep. and we had about 150,000 people in 15 cities, wow. uh, and, and the event was called The Rescue. All tweeting, all posting, yes. all sharing. And every city had a celebrity that the only way that they could leave, the, it was like in parks, was if the celebrity came to rescue them. And so, for example, oh. it all culminated in Chicago where Oprah Could you know, I have was, Idris Elba come rescue <laughs> Yeah, me. right, yeah. And so, we, I mean, it was this massive, every city uh, got rescued by a celebrity. We did nothing beforehand to, like, I prep the celebrity. It was all just guerrilla tactics. Amazing. You know, it was, and they it was could awesome. do it however they wanted. It. But it was, it was... It, the only reason why it was possible was because it was a long, many years of building that community, providing yes, value. Getting this doesn't excited. happen overnight. Exactly. Exactly. It doesn't happen. A lot overnight. of people want the like one night success or overnight success. It never happens uh, for really anything. Anything. And what drives me crazy are a lot of nonprofits would kill for that kind of exposure and visibility, but they don't know what they would do with it afterwards, and right. they don't really understand. Like you said, it requires a lot of forethought. It requires a lot of planning. It requires a lot of community building. But when you say to me, I want visibility. Okay, well, if you had all the visib visibility in the world, what would you do with it? You know, what would you turn it into? Or how would you nurture these people? Yeah. Now they're in your world. They're in your universe. They're interested. And it's, it's just so funny. I think it's like dating. I mean... Also, I haven't dated in a very long time, been married like 17 years, but I, <laughs> I imagine when I was dating, you don't just instantly like get married unless you're on that show, whatever it is, like uh, marriage is blind or whatever yeah, it is, yeah, yeah. which doesn't work out, obviously. But you have to really, you have to put your best foot forward. You have to engage people. You don't necessarily ask them for the donation right off the bat. You have to maybe give them another softer way yeah. to get involved. Yeah. Um, and as we know, people listen to their peers. So people always on Giving Tuesday, end of year, always ask me, what are your top five charities? Who should I give to? Does $10 actually make a difference? Um, should I be a monthly donor? And I say, yes, absolutely. Here are some organizations that I believe in. That I, th you know, based on what I know about you and your ethics and your values, yeah. here are some places I think that you know you could really make an impact. Yeah. And people listen to their networks. Totally. And that's the power of social media is, is elevating those social networks, that social graph. Do you see? How do you see social media changing? I mean, there's obviously mm. you know more platforms coming. Uh, yeah. and different generations using different platforms. So what's your perspective on sort of like the, the platforms that are <laughs> social media platforms that nonprofits should be on? Well, I, that really does depend on your goals and what you're trying to achieve. But certainly if nonprofits are not paying attention to like Instagram reels and TikTok, that's a huge missed opportunity. I mean, the, it's not, people think, oh, it's just 12 year olds. Yeah, but it's also, uh, other older kids and millennials and Gen yeah. Xers and people that do actually have money and have visibility, these huge influencers that have an audience of a billion people or a hundred million followers. So to me, I think in the future, and even now, actually, it's not even really the future. It's going to be driven by influencers. It's not going to be driven by a nonprofit setting up a Facebook page and then trying to attract people. Yeah. It's going to be much more impactful if a nonprofit is like, okay, I'm a, you know, I'm the Trevor Project. I'm going to go reach out to a, uh, an influencer on Twitch. I'm going to go reach out to an influencer on TikTok and get in front of their audience and engage their audience. Yeah. So rather than us trying to like claw and nail and like pull teeth 
to get people to our page. I think we're going to have to start thinking about how we can work with these influencers or have these built-in audiences and yes, lose a little bit of control. We're going to lose a little bit of control. They might, you know, drop an F-bomb. I don't know. <laughs> they might like not have the perfect public persona, you know, certainly do your research, but we are not going to have as much control in the future. Yeah. And if we try to constantly have that control, we're not going to succeed. Yeah. I don't know if it's necessarily unique to just the nonprofit community, but nonprofits do feel a lot more, uh, they want to be in more control of, of the content, the message, even like the way that like yeah. the programs that they deliver yeah. are explained. And, yes. you know, and, and which there could be, there's, there's, I think a good thing to, to that, but oftentimes it could be at the expense of, of growth or, you know, being more inclusive and, and so forth. And so I, why do you think that's been such a challenge and how do we get over that? It's just the status quo. It's what we learned. It's what we were brought up with. A lot of nonprofits, myself included, when I was a development director, started out as a volunteer coordinator, became a development director, was invited to be the executive director. <laughs> and I thought, that's not how businesses work. Like, businesses don't take in an intern necessarily and then they become the CEO. That's just not the way they work. In nonprofits, for some reason, we just let our passion determine our business acumen and or our marketing skills, which is not, it's not a necessarily correlation. And I also think because we have so many rules and regulations that we have to follow, the board is very skittish. I also think it's generational. A lot of nonprofit boards are older. Yeah. A lot of nonprofit boards that I work with, it's like therapy to talk to them about social media. The development director is 25 and the board is all in their 70s. And they're like, well, I don't know the tweeters, you know, I don't know, the whatever. And it's it's fine, but they don't really have the interest. They don't need to know. They don't really want to know. Yeah. They've been doing the same thing, writing grants, doing whatever for years. So that, that sort of barrier to innovation, I think, is generational. But it just really is the status quo. It's also how we are terrified to take risk. Like you run a, you know, a startup or not an established company, but like when you run a startup, you take risks. Yeah. Like you have to to grab attention to actually do cool things. Nonprofits are so risk averse. Yeah. They can't take a single shred of risk. And that's why we kind of stick to things that we think we know work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we are so afraid. But then we see somebody else do it and we're like, oh man, I wish I thought of that. Yeah. So I wish there was more risk taking. Yeah, absolutely. I think also like, you know, and this is sort of a part of the risk thing is nonprofits, they want to be safe. And if you think about like non-controversial, non-controversial, as I say, is like, I think which is one of the, not a thing. Right. Yeah. I mean, because if someone, someone, everything's controversial, everything is this rug is controversial. <laughs> it's rug offended someone today. This is a pink rug, not blue, though. Someone right. mad. Yeah. Is mad about Someone's it. Someone's mad. But what, but one of the things we we actually the exercise we'd go over quite a bit at Invisible Children before launching a campaign is we had this like uh, polarization concept and we wanted to always be polarizing but not like not in a way that was like just blatantly offensive but right. we wanted to polarize we wanted to and so for us it was joseph coney he is the villain we're going to polarize joseph coney we're going to make everyone yeah. hate joseph coney yeah because it'll get people yeah. to talk it'll get people to do things and it'll then, get conversations started exactly exactly and so i think that that's something that nonprofits can can get better at is um, incorporating more uh, controversy yeah. or polarization into their into their messaging and, and language. There's no <laughs> attraction if there's not repulsion. Huh. 
like you that. can't attract people to you if you're not repelling other people. Yeah. So I found that in my business. You know, if you've ever seen a Zoom call with me, I have my wall of amazing women behind me. I wear my politics on my sleeve. I was considering wearing a, a protect trans youth shirt here today. And I thought I wanted to get like get a little dressed up. But I was like, I, I don't I really wear my politics on my sleeve and it attracts people to me that I respect and want to work with. And then some people are like, nope. And that's fine with me because it's just not a good fit. And yeah. I think with nonprofits, they have to understand. I literally, I do not care what your mission is. It is polarizing to someone. Yeah. I'm thinking of the little tiny um, community arts theater where I live. They're called stage 24. They, there are people that are like, why are we going to give money to the arts? The arts don't do anything. The arts are all liberal. They're teaching our kids to be gay. Like we've actually gotten emails like that. <laughs> and I'm thinking it's a community theater. It's based in community. It's like giving back. It's, you know, art is supposed to be creating empathy and telling stories and joining us all. Every single mission is going to be polarizing to someone. And you have to not get upset about that one or two emails that you get about people that hate you. Like yeah. ignore the haters, yeah, exactly. worry about the people that love you and then keep feeding them what they love. Yeah. Like they love the arts. They love the culture of inclusivity. They love that kids from all abilities and all walks of life and all economic, you know, status can go there. I think playing into your strengths and why people love you and not being worried about the one or two people that are going to hate you. Yeah. Cause they'll hate you no matter what. And it's and just, I look the at way it as life is. And it, you know, if, uh, like if you, you got tattoos, people, yeah. someone is going to come upset. and be like sneer at you. It's just, you, you cannot please everybody. Yeah, Sean and I were just actually talking about this uh, a couple hours ago. Yeah, you, can't. About that. you can't. And I think when, when you upset people, it's, it's a sign that what you're doing is working and you should, you, I think should celebrate that. If you, ups if you don't upset anyone, no one's listening. Yeah, exactly. If I send out an email, well, I don't really, a lot of my emails right now are not so controversial, but especially around in when, during COVID around black lives matter, when there was that huge surge of violence against Asian American Pacific Islanders, I, I would comment on it. I felt like it was my duty to send things out or talk about it. Yeah. And I feel like if I didn't get any pushback or people saying they love it or hate it, no one's reading it. Yeah, yeah. So what's worse, being ignored or getting a little bit of pushback? Yeah, you know? totally. All right, so now on to the serious questions. Yes. The rapid fire. I know, but I'm not going to even have one answer because it's like picking children. <laughs> you're going to ask me, <laughs> who's your favorite child? I don't know. Uh, how many kids do you have? Two. Two. Okay. How, what's, their, what's their ages? 12 and 7. 12 and 7. Okay. I, have, I have four. Um, <gasps> I feel, feel like I knew this about you. Yeah, tw we had twins that were surprised, but um, 10, 8, and 6-year-olds. So it's a, it is a houseful. Um, okay, so you can just respond however you want. There's okay. no wrong or right answer. Okay. This is your personal opinion, and you may offend somebody, but that's okay. I, I'm sure I will. <laughs> and that's it. All right, so favorite movie or series? My f can I do both? My yeah. favorite movie is Nightmare Before Christmas. Okay. My favorite TV series is any RuPaul's Drag Race, any country, all stars, anything. Okay. Awesome. Tacos or cheeseburgers? Tacos. Fish tacos, preferably. Fish tacos. Okay. Uh, beach or mountains? Beach. Beach. That's right. Digital reading or an actual book? Mm, actual book. But actual I do book. have that remarkable tablet yeah, yeah. Uh -huh, that I uh -huh. love. So writing. But I, I'd say actual book. I, I feel like if it's digital, I don't read it. Like I, I need, I, I like the analog. On yeah. It. yeah, it's yeah. it's and it just feels it feels more sophisticated to be holding like the book. It actually and specifically, does. actually, it's not a question on here, but hard or soft cover. Hard cover. Yeah, yeah, that's almost like a, a given, right? Yeah. Uh, ice cream or froyo? Ice cream. Ice cream. Football or football? 
Baseball. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait a second, did I say baseball? No. But there you go. Um, <laughs> Moana. Baseball and basketball are the only sports I like. <laughs> are you going to ask me Moana or Encanto? Aladdin. But that's oh, okay. a good one. That one's No, hard. that's terrible. I wouldn't be able to. You wouldn't be able Encanto. to. Encanto? Moana's second. Lin-Manuel oh. Miranda. Okay. But, uh, oh, so, so you're saying Moana over Aladdin? Yes. Yeah. But <laughs> Moana's amazing because Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote most of the songs. Okay. And okay. Moana's just... But Encanto is wonderful. You should watch it. No, yeah, well, oh, oh, yeah, no, I, I've seen we it. We don't talk about it. Bruno. Yeah. <laughs> now I've got that in your head. Sorry. Yeah, now it's going to be the rest of the, rest that, of the you day. You should ask people because that's a sure sign they don't have kids. Yeah. That's you true. should be like, we don't talk about, and if they're and like, see they, we see don't they know. They finish the line. Yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> I like that. Julia, well, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Justin. Have a great rest of the conference. Okay. Mm. You too. Thank you. Thank you. In this next segment, Chirin Koshi, author, mentor, and nonprofit investment specialist, makes taxes, stocks, and investments sound, well, fun. Chirin, thank you so much for stopping by and joining the podcast. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. You've been quite busy, a couple sessions, and on the board here at AFP. So, how are you holding up? Uh, I'm exhausted, but I'm loving it. It's great to see people. It's great to um, just meet people that you've only met on Zoom or on LinkedIn or something like that. Yeah. And so it's really cool to just be able to be in person for this. Yeah, absolutely. It's great to be back in person for conferences absolutely. all together. So absolutely. you guys are putting on a great uh, event so far. Oh, so thanks, thanks so for all the And all thanks the for work. being here. This, yeah. It means a lot. Yeah, no, we, we love it. It's, after the pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. So today I, would, I want to talk about endowments yeah. uh, with you. Absolutely. And, um, I know a little bit about that. A little bit about yeah. that. Have a couple just kind of like 101 questions sure. uh, for our listeners, and then want to kind of dig into sort of like why, uh, or actually hear from you whether or not this is a fit for all nonprofits. Oh, uh, I can answer that question right away. No. No. Okay, no. good. We're going to find out. Are we done? Are we done? <laughs> it's done. It's over. Uh, Fastest podcast ever. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, let's start with, tell us a little bit about the company and yeah. what, you guys, what you guys specialize in. Absolutely. So I uh, actually did fundraising, frontline fundraising for 25 years. And uh, two different fundraise or two different investment firms reached out to me during the pandemic because they were seeing a lot of nonprofits struggling with sustainability. And they wanted to, to see if I would come work with them to help their clients do better with regard to fundraising, but also kind of manage investments and figure out what that looked like. One was a big box firm, a name that you would know, and they had a $5 million minimum for assets and also wanted me to work with individual high net worth donors. That really wasn't my wheelhouse. That's not what I like was super passionate about. I work a lot with small and mid-sized nonprofits. So this other firm only works with nonprofits and foundations, So and they had no asset minimum. So if you have $100 or $1,000 to invest and start the process of, of building that, um, and we can get into kind of the different strategies for why you might do that. But the idea was that they were uh, open. They were really excited about helping that part of the sector that wasn't being helped by other uh, investment advisors. Got it. So that's why I ended up in, you know, deciding to go with this firm. And the other part that's really cool is they will open up a brokerage account so that any nonprofit can accept a gift of stock and charge no commission. Oh, wow. Because what they realize is it's just pushing a button. Yeah. So as long as you just get stock gifts from a donor and you're putting it in your checking account, you're not investing it, 
no fee. Right. Okay. And I was like, I love that. That's, yeah. these are my people. Yeah. That's awesome. So share with us a little bit about sort of like the profile of nonprofits where this sort of investment vehicle makes sense yeah. um, for, for the organization. Sure. So the thing that people mostly think about are these big, like Harvard size endowments, right? Yeah. Where they're spinning off revenue and whatnot. And, and operationally, they're taking a portion of that, whatever, three, four, 5% using that for uh, whatever their programs are. That is one model. And we have clients that are really big that, you know, we have community foundations where we manage, actually manage other advisors and put together a, like one stop shop for their board and then help them with, uh, with advice on investments as well. But most of our clients are, they, they have a Mackenzie Scott event where they have a donor who leaves them a bunch of money in their will. They don't need that money immediately and they don't want to put it in their checking account because inflation's going to tear into that, especially yep. right now. Yeah. So they're like, what do we do? How do we make that work? So we develop out generally two different strategies. One is for those funds that you might need within the next three to five years. We'll conservatively invest that, but it has more liquidity to it. So if you need to pay bonuses or raises or something like that, or pay for operations, you can do that out of that fund. And then we have um, sort of what we call the long-term forever money that you're starting to kind of build up. It's a vehicle so that you can talk about plan giving with your donors and say, hey, we've got this strategy for what that investment will look like. If you want to endow a scholarship or you want to endow um, you know, the food bank in some way, or you want to make sure that these services are provided long after you're gone, Justin, we can, we can work with you on that as a donor. Here's what that would look like. Got and it. the thing to realize is that Every investment advisor basically has the same tools, especially when it comes to nonprofits. There's, yeah. You're not going to like invest it all in crypto or <laughs> invest it all in Apple or something like that. At the, so at the blackjack tables right, here. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's all like these broad-based index funds, and you're trying to optimize the best you can. Okay. But the thing that like the the investment advisor that doesn't know nonprofits really well typically doesn't get is that you don't need a tax advantage for nonprofits. Right. They could. Nonprofits could theoretically day trade because they don't. There's need no high, low, or, or long term or short term capital yeah, gains yeah, tax. No, yeah, exactly. There's no short term capital gains. So they could do that. We don't recommend that, obviously. We yeah. don't do that for our clients. But you could be more proactive in managing assets rather than just saying, like, this Ronco, I'm dating myself, but like set it and forget it machine where you don't never touch it. You can kind of say, and we do this uh, all the time where we say, hey, this is what we're seeing in the market right now. We're recommending this. The shift. Yeah. And there's no, no tax harvesting or anything like that needed right. because of, exactly. of the status. Yeah, that's but I great. think the key is, you know, to your first question, it's not right for every nonprofit, but it is right. Different vehicles are right for different yeah. nonprofits. I mean, because I think like, I mean, nonprofits of all sizes should think about their long-term sort of financial plans. Yep. And I mean, depending on the size, I mean, everyone has, you know, like committed wealthy donors who one day, you know, could pass on a nice endowment or yeah. whatever it might be. And some of them you don't even know, right? So what one of the things we encourage all the time is sort of this passive marketing of what you have available so that someone who doesn't want to tell you that they're going to put you in the will knows, ah, they have a strategy, they have a plan. I won't overload this organization by dropping a million dollars on them or even a hundred thousand. Like they, yeah. someone dies and they have their house and they want to sell their house and give it to the organization. That's a, that's honestly like a big situation. Okay. Like that happens a lot. How, so how much, how much money is in plan giving? Like, I mean, what's the, what, what data do you have around, like how big is this market? 
Uh, it's gigantic. There's 10,000 people who are retiring um, every day oh, wow. right now. And so the baby boomers are, some of them have extended their retirement plan because of the pandemic. Yeah. But the the general idea is that plan giving right now represents the largest wealth transfer in human history. It's trillions of dollars wow. in money that's moving from the boomers to Generation X and millennials. A lot of that is transferring in stocks. Oh, interesting. So interesting. that is a, a considerable opportunity and for nonprofits to be able to kind of tap into that and really see what that looks like. So to modify my answer, I don't know that investments are right for every nonprofit, but every nonprofit should be able to accept a gift of stock. Yeah. Because you don't yeah. know where that's going to come from or what donor um, will need to do that, honestly. Yeah. And so just having that vehicle available, available. is important for every nonprofit. It's like very rarely have I seen it being easy to give stock, right? It always yeah. involves downloading something, sure. connecting brokerage. And so do you, do you guys make that easier for, for nonprofits or is it still? So honestly, uh, we don't. Okay. I'll be totally honest. <laughs> yeah. it, the, the way that FINRA and the SEC works, it requires you to say, yes, I want to transfer these assets yeah. in this forum to this to this charity. There's not a lot of ways to get around that unless you transfer your assets to some side of some sort of holding organization that then transfers it to the nonprofit and then somebody's got to get paid to do that. Yeah, yeah. Our view is if you're going to give 5,000, I think the average stock gift is like $6,000. So if you're going to give $6,000 to an organization and you want it to be used, we don't want to take anything out of that. Got so it. there are companies out there that will charge like 8, 10% and for a small nonprofit I, I have I sit on the board of an organization. They got a fifty thousand dollars stock gift. The broker charged them two percent. Wow, two thousand dollars to a nonprofit for pushing a button. That's a, <laughs> for literally pushing a button. Yeah, that's a lot of money. Yeah. So with today's uh, volatility in the markets, yeah. do you do you recommend nonprofits to, to liquidate the stock donations immediately or to hold them? And obviously it depends on organizations' cash flow and so forth. Absolutely. But what, what's your perspective so on it? So I would start with with the cash flow needs, of course, of the organization. We'd work through those specific scenarios. A lot of times gift acceptance policies or organizational policies around stock gifts will talk about liquidating immediately. That's not actually the right answer because you may have you you might have a dividend coming up on an apple stock or something like that mm. and because of that if we waited 2 days the nonprofit would end up with more money. Yeah. So that's one of the things that we'll look at very intently and make sure that this is the right answer Got for it. the nonprofit. Got it. Um, but in general, you know, it probably is the case that most of the time you just liquidate it, you use it for operational dollars yeah. in that situation. Yeah. That makes sense. You know, um, going back to plan giving here yeah. real quick, one of the like, I think barriers, at least, I don't know, like I don't have any like data to back this up. And so I'd be curious to hear sort of yeah. your thought on it is I think that like nonprofit professionals are in this like grind, constant yeah. grind. I got to hit the annual budget, right? Yep, January there. 1st starts over again. I got to hit this number. And so to, like plan giving is much more like long-term. Yeah. yeah. You don't see like the benefits of your, of your efforts like right away. Yep. And so I wonder like how much of that actually prevents organizations from having a more strategic approach it to, does, to plan giving. It does, and that happens around the boardroom table and with ex with senior executives all the time. They're like, why would we think about plan giving? We need money to pay people now and to do these programs now. There's some really great research from Dr. Russell James out of Texas Tech University that talks about the fact that when people make plan gifts, their annual gifts increase. Oh, interesting. So, and it, I mean, it makes sense from a psychological perspective. If you are, if you're putting 20% of your like future estate into a nonprofit, that's a pretty significant psychological connection that you're yeah. making yeah. with 
what you're donating to that organization. So you want to see that organization succeed today. Yeah. You want to make sure that they've got the resources. So we so his longitudinal study identifies that annual fund gifts increase when you uh, have planned giving donors. Any examples of like organizations, whether you work with them or not, that you've seen that have, have a really effective planned giving strategy and what do they do that sets them apart? I would say everyone that is doing some form of planned giving is doing it well because they're telling they're donors, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. They're doing it. They're they're telling donors that this is an opportunity, and not a lot of donors know that that's an option. And then you can get more complicated, but I don't think you need to. I think there there are some particular organizations that are really smart about planned gifts, and I think the the common thread is that they are intentional about reaching out to people based upon data or relationship conversations. What I like to do, and, and Dr. James talks about this as, as well, is when you're having conversations with people, you're truly listening for what are those cues? What are the things that might indicate? And one of the biggest ones is, I'd love to do more, but I, I can't. Yeah. And that's where you can say, let's talk more about that. What What is it that you really want to do? And how can we talk about a gift in your will or a gift of an IRA, which is a really smart thing to gift rather than pass on to your heirs? Why, why is that? From a tax? A yeah, tax from reason? a tax perspective. Okay. So right now, and we'll see if the law changes, but right now, if you gift your kids equal shares of the IRA, they've got to take it out in a period of time. Now, depending yeah. on your age and their age and their income, they got to pay tax yeah. on top as income on uh, for that IRA yeah. disbursement. So it's really smart if you have other assets to gift those to your kids and then gift Get the that. IRA to a charity. One last question, yeah. and then I'll let you go since I know you're so busy. Well, I do have some <laughs> rapid fire questions I want to ask yeah, you real absolutely. quick on this uh, note of, of tax. Sure. Are there any benefits in planned giving? And I think you maybe just answered this, like, you know, yeah, give your IRA instead of uh, your house or something yeah. like that. But yeah. like for like an estate, right? Someone that designates 20% of their estate to like a, a charity. Uh, is there a right way to go about doing that so that the family who's left behind isn't left with a larger tax bill? Or, or do, they, do they receive impact from the Absolutely. tax? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So when I was a fundraiser, that was the t difficult question to have because I was the fundraiser, not the finance advisor, yeah. the financial planner. So now we get to have those conversations with donors on behalf of the nonprofit so they don't get into the, the sticky stuff. But they're yeah. absolutely tax-wise ways to make gifts at the end of life. But they're also tax-wise ways to make gifts today. So you get an inheritance from, from your parents. You have an income that you've got to deal with right now. You can structure gifts that will pay you right now for a gift that you make to charity or pay your kids money right now or in the future because you've made a gift to charity. So these things are going to become really more popular as estates get settled. But a lot of times when you think about estates and their $25 million things, there are people with houses that have appreciated during the pandemic. They've, they're sitting on a two, three, four hundred thousand dollar house. They got to figure out what to do with that. And yeah. what we always say is you'd rather that go to a cause that you love and care about than to the federal government. Federal government. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So yeah, absolutely yeah. How do we make this work so that you can do what you're really passionate about? Have you found that like donors are sophisticated with with on the tax side of, of, of giving? Or do you think that it requires a lot of education? Sometimes they do. Sometimes they have an advisor that's yeah. really smart about it and really understands charitable giving and they can do that. The nice thing for us is when because I come from a fundraising background and our organization only works with nonprofits, when we pick up the phone, we're like, Justin, thank you so much for this gift. What made you make the decision to make a gift to this organization? This is the impact that you're having because we know 
who our clients are. Yeah. And then we can feed that back to the development director or the staff to say, here's how you can follow up with this person appropriately. Right. But the nice thing is that some donors are like, I've heard about this. The fundraiser told me about this. How can we make this happen? We'll advise them, provide them with the right tools to be able to, to maximize what they want to achieve. Other times we have donors that call and they're like, we don't know. We just want to give some money. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, and in those situations, we'll help work through their circumstance. We don't advise individuals, yeah. but we can advise them on that particular on that gift particular to the got it. To nonprofit. What's, yeah, what's my strategy? Yeah. Got it. All right, let's do some rapid fire questions. Absolutely. Knock it out. All right. The the serious questions. Okay. All right, here we go. There's no right. wrong or right answer. Oh, oh. All right. All right. <laughs> uh, movies or series? Probably more series, but depends on the movie. But more series. More series? Be, yeah. Do you have a favorite series right now? Uh, have you seen Severance on... Yes, I'm watching oh. that right now. Okay, you're not done I'm yet? on episode four. Okay, I'm not going to spoil it. Uh, it is mind-blowing. Yeah. Oh, mind-blowing yeah, at I'm, the end. I'm, Let's I'm, talk about it after. Okay, okay. all right, yeah. Uh, tacos or cheeseburgers? That's like picking between my my kids. Yeah. I, no, I can't You do can't that. do that? All right, so you're saying both. I, is there a taco if, cheeseburger? That should be a thing. Now it is. Now it now is. Now it is. Taco Trademark. Beach or the mountains? Uh, beach. Beach. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, digital reading or an actual book? Uh, digital. Digital. I'm, well, actually, audiobook is. That's that's yeah, the way to go. Yeah, for you? that's that's, that's me. Uh, just, yeah. Okay. Okay. Easier for me. Um, ice cream or froyo? I'm lactose intolerant. So, so none. Neither. Neither. Yeah. Gelato, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Because right? I think it's dairy free, uh, isn't it? it? It's got to be special. But okay. I'm, yeah. Not okay. a big sweets right. person. Well, so. Uh, football or football? Uh, football. 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 Yeah. Okay. Yep. So like, you call soccer. I mean, sorry, I, you. I you, call football soccer. Okay, yes. got it. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then last one here, important Moana or Aladdin? Aladdin. Aladdin. What yeah. about your kids? Yeah. You your kids. They, yeah. they love everything. My, everything. my little girl loves Encanto right now, so okay. that's, yeah. that's kind of her big thing. But. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for uh, joining us. Yeah, Ashley, thanks for having me. Awesome. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. All right, Rachel Muir is our final segment in this episode. Rachel's a nonprofit consultant, trainer, and speaker. She makes us laugh, high five, and face our failures head on. Rachel, thank you so much for joining the Nonstop Nonprofit Podcast. How are you today? I'm doing awesome. Thanks for having me as your guest. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, how has AFP been going for you? It's fantastic. It's great to see everybody in person and tons of great energy here in Vegas. Lots of great sessions. Absolutely. How You, you had two sessions yesterday. What were the uh, topics that you're... So, yeah. So I kicked off with Chirin Koshi and Tammy Zonker okay. with what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, our biggest <laughs> fundraising fails and how we survive them. Love it. And it was awesome. Tons of vulnerability yeah. and inspiration and humor. And then the next session that I did was with Rachel Clemens from Mighty Citizen. And it was winning fundraising campaigns that hit the fundraising jackpot. And it ah. was a pure 75 minutes of eye candy fundraising campaigns that worked to inspire and get people, you know, excited about what they can do. And lots of for-profit examples too. Yeah. Really great customer-centric marketing. I'm, well, I need to ask about both the failures and the successes oh here. Yeah. yeah. So tell me about uh, some of the, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan. So I think actually, I mean, failures is, is a great thing because sure. if we learn from it, we can improve and get, and get better. Um, I'm a big fan of, of trying to fail as fast as you can instead of you know prolonging the failure. Uh, <laughs> but what have, uh, what have been uh, some of, of 
the failures or what were some of the failures that you all discussed? There were so many hilarious ones. I mean, one, I have to, my friend Lynn Wester, who fundraising donor guru, she's amazing. She shared one where she accidentally um, fed a donor potpourri. (laughs) (laughs) That was pretty hilarious. I shared one where I confused capacity with generosity and I went in and asked a donor for much too large of a gift uh. without properly cultivating them beforehand. Never made that mistake again. But I will say, regardless of the mistake, mistakes are what makes us human and sharing your mistakes with your staff is what makes you warm and relatable and allows everyone to not make that mistake again. Yeah. And one of my very favorite discovery questions when I'm with a donor to ask is, what's your favorite mistake? And I encourage people to think about hmm. like, what's your favorite mistake? Because, you know, for most for most fundraisers would say, oh my God, I solicited a gift. And then they said, oh, well, I make my giving decisions with my partner, wife, husband, best friend, psychic, 12 year old son. And <laughs> you won't that make that mistake again. But uh, what's your favorite mistake can be a really great opportunity to learn from others. We're embarrassed about the mistakes we made, but it's that vulnerability that makes us attractive to other people. Yeah. I mean, it's what makes us human and yeah. what makes other people drawn to us. Totally. Like much more authentic. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. On the winning side, best campaigns, that's the eye candy that you mentioned. Yeah. What were some of the highlights? Yeah. So, okay. So one of those that is so fantastic and everyone died laughing and is this is it's a toilet paper company uh-huh. and it's called who gives a crap <laughs> and they they did this fu- this crowdfunding campaign to get started and they called it the sit down and the founder was literally sitting on a toilet <laughs> uh, until he raised like fifty thousand dollars wow um it worked it was like a it lockdown worked, on the a toilet lockdown on the toilet interesting hilarious but what's great and i encourage everyone check out who gives a crap.org it's a b corp and what they do is 50% of the profits go to develop um, sanitation projects and latrines in developing countries. So, you know, like so many people in the world are living without access to clean toilets and it causes all kinds of diseases that can be easily prevented. And so they literally give away 50% of their profits. But what's really special and unique about them that everyone can steal is their customer-centric marketing. Hmm. Their marketing is immediately they make you feel like a donor from the get-go. Like the uh, the auto email response is congratulations Rachel you just did a great thing. You're saving people in the developing world right now while you go potty. And then they just go on and on. It's 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 joke after joke, but it's also they do they ask you all these really great survey questions to get to know you. Yeah, the they last, do, it sounds like it's an, an enga- very engaging. Very engaging. Yeah. The last question is, are you a folder or a scruncher? <laughs> so it's hilarious, and uh, everyone can learn how to think about the donor journey yeah. or your, you know, just your constituent journey from their marketing. Yeah. So that's just one really great example, but there were tons of great examples. On that, like, it sounded like there was like a lot of humor, a part of like this campaign. Nonprofits are normally pretty serious. Yeah. Uh, so do you think that nonprofits can uh, incorporate more humor into their fundraising and appeals and just overall donor engagement? Okay, this is a great question. And and so to speak to that, I wanna share a f- totally free tip, totally free tool that's an endless point of great inspiration. And that is Humans of New York. 
oh, on yeah. Facebook because every day humans of New York and obviously you're following them they share a news story about someone they have a, an attention grabbing headline that person's vulnerable they're sharing their story and whether it's like a gay teen coming out to their intolerant parents or you know a vet who's suffering from PTSD you are bought into that story and you want to know what happens next yeah so I would say but I think the biggest thing about humans of New York is the vulnerability and the authenticity not every nonprofit can pull off humor yeah. some nonprofits can and they can be cheeky and they can be silly and they can make fun of themselves and that can be a great way to endear yourself to get your your emails opened some nonprofits can't but they all nonprofits can use vulnerability and authenticity. And th th that's what fundraising is. I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, all fundraising is, is a quest for empathy. And if you're not using, if you're not being vulnerable, and if you're not sharing stories that, you know, draw me in and include conflict, why would I care? I mean, the whole goal is to make me feel something. Yeah. All that you have to use emp empathy and emotion in yeah, fundraising. You're yeah. not being manipulative to do it. You're being smart because totally. it's all that works. Totally. I, uh, so I helped build an organization called Invisible Children um, oh back goodness. in my fundraising days. Oh, my goodness. And we Amazing had, organization. Yeah. It's, it was a very fun season of life. Um, but we had a when we were when we talked about like creating like media or campaigns, uh, we had a, a rule. It was we called it our golden rule. And it was make people laugh before they cry. Yeah, and the reason why the reason why we did that is we felt like if we could if we could get you to laugh, like we did something that bought you in. For we sure, we built trust, and then yeah. when we get really heavy on like to talk about like yeah. the real problem, you know, we we have this like sort of trust established. Obviously, you can't That's do it. Good. You can't do it with every campaign or or every piece of media that you create, and every cause is, is may not be yeah. you know may not be super. But you can do it, and you can do it in unexpected ways. I remember seeing an ad for Plan Giving that was a zoo and it had a picture a close-up of two elephants butts like it's like you're <laughs> it's like you're walking behind the elephants and all you can see is their butts and it said will you leave a little bit behind <laughs> and it's like that's funny yeah and yeah. you know and I saw another one that was this guy in this you know this you know like 40 year old guy looks, looks kind of like weird Al Yankovic obnoxious velvet uh, uh, suit you know like just looks like a crazy person just dressed like a nut and it says leave a charity in your will or estate be the eccentric uncle you wish you were yeah you know it's like yeah be be that eccentric like rich uncle wearing like a, a velvet Gucci suit <laughs> why not you know yeah. so I think you can have fun and even with a mission that's really heavy, you can, you can you can still there are opportunities to be playful. Yeah, and there are always opportunities to be vulnerable. You know, making fun of yourself, making you know we're all human. And one of the examples that I actually shared in the worst mistakes was one from one of my clients. I have a membership program called the League of Extraordinary Fundraisers, and one of my members in my program, and this has happened to a lot of Mahavids. There's a data glitch, right? Did yeah. that ever happen to you? Um, a data glitch? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It yeah, happens, yeah. It right? Happened. Oh, totally. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, the the letter was addressed to, um, you know, Alex, but it didn't say, Dear Alex. It said, Dear Rachel. 
And so Alex is opening this letter and is like, wait, what? She did an oops campaign. She did an oops email. She did a really cute oops postcard with a photo of a kid, which is what they're serving. Yeah. You know, making an oops face, like a, bl- a face like she just made a really big blunder. She raised more money from that appeal. She had donors calling her on the phone telling her, don't worry about it. Stuff happens. It's fine. I mean, she developed, she raised like almost $40,000 more money. She had a better open rate. And she developed a lot of new relationships and strengthened other relationships. Because she came out in front of it and said, I messed up. Yeah, just acknowledged it head on. And she also did a really great job of integrating what happened back into her mission. And she said, I want to reassure you that your data is safe. Just like the kids are safe, thanks to you supporting uh, Idaho Youth Ranch. Yeah. Just genius. Yeah, yeah. She 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 got ahead of it, addressed it in a humorous way, but also took it serious and said, hey, don't worry, your, your dad is safe. Yeah, inter- very yeah. interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. I realize I probably should have done this up, up front, but uh, I didn't ask you to share a little bit more about yourself, your story, and uh, more a little bit more about your business. Yeah. So my background is in nonprofits. I started a nonprofit called Girl Start to empower girls in math, science, engineering, and technology when I was 26 with $500 on a credit card and raised $10 million. And now Girl Start is about to turn 25 years old. Wow. Uh, But what I do is I do consulting for nonprofits. I have a membership where I teach nonprofits and I do a lot of training and speaking. The session that I mentioned, in case anyone wants to grab this, on the fundraising examples, I made a download and people can grab it at rachelmuir.com forward slash jackpot. But it has all the examples that we shared. And links to some of them. Some of them were, were videos. Yeah. Like the who gives a crap. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but there are examples from all over the world. And we also have the results in there, too, of how those campaigns did. Got it. Awesome. What uh, What is the next uh, seven months uh, as we round out 2022, which is crazy that we're almost halfway through it. What are you excited about? Uh, any projects you're working on or um, campaigns that you're helping uh, launch? Well, I think the most exciting thing for me is that travel is back. And it's really nice to see people and reconnect with people. And it's been a really long time in lockdown. And so it's really nice just like things coming back. And I feel like it's... It's, it's not just, I mean, just there's this fundraising conference, but also for nonprofits, you know. And, and I think I'm also excited about some of the the things that we learned. Like, I feel like there are lots of positives of organizations going out of their comfort zone and learning how to do things like video email and using texting for stewardship and yeah. lots of other things that we did in the pandemic that I hope will continue to be technology tools that people use moving forward. Absolutely. Yeah. There's There was an acceleration of, of technology adoption uh, in the last couple of years yeah. and I hope that it continues and nonprofits you know take that and continue to build on, on top of it because I think we saw a lot of really great innovation uh, and absolutely. I hope it doesn't get get left behind absolutely We've got some rapid-fire questions now okay. for you okay um, so there's no wrong answer okay um, movies are you a movies or series person I God both I mean both but I, I mean Right now, I'm totally watching Ozark, okay. so no spoilers because yeah. I haven't. I guess and and Better Call Saul's Better Call final Saul. yeah, season. Yeah. So I mean, I miss I, I miss movies. I miss like going going to the theater. Uh, going to the theater. Yeah. Uh, I, I haven't done that been, yet. I feel like there hasn't been like any great movies lately. Stuff didn't get released because yeah, yeah, of, yeah people weren't going to theaters. Yeah. Tacos or cheeseburgers? Definitely tacos. I'm from Texas. I'm from Austin, Texas. I mean, tacos, like, that's our, tacos are like an entire food group, along with queso. Those are two separate (laughs) food groups. Oh, that sounds so good right now. And then margaritas. Yeah. (laughs) 
Oh, okay. So I didn't have lunch today, so that like I, that just made me more hungry. Um, digital reading or an actual book? I actually like an actual book in my hands. I I like the whole experience of like having uh, hardcover or soft cover. I'm happy with either. either I okay. usually end up with a hardcover because it's like something I want to get right away. One of the best books I read recently was The Midnight Library. And it's a fascinating book about like that explores kind of different options of like that movie Sliding Doors with Gwyneth Paltrow uh-huh. in the 90s of like what if you'd chosen a different path? What would your life have been like uh, now? Interesting. And it's a library where you can go and like check out other oh, paths of wow. your life. Yeah, interesting. Did you, you said you finished it or you just started yeah, it? Yeah, no, okay. I finished it. finished it. I couldn't stop reading it. I couldn't yeah. put it down. <laughs> that sounds fascinating. Ice cream or Froyo? Oh my gosh. I'm, I love them both. I love them both. I like I like with I like froyo with moochies. Okay. I like the moochies. Uh, congratulations! You're the first person to say froyo today. Sweet. Yeah. So <laughs> you are unique. Uh, football or football? Oh my gosh! I totally am not a sports person. I literally just watch the Super Bowl for the commercials, <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I, I'm not uh, ashamed to admit it. I I am exactly the same. The only reason why uh, sports is on at my house is a friend comes over. Uh, yeah. to watch sports but not, yeah. a, not a sports person um, okay last one uh, Moana or Aladdin Moana Moana nice nice you can't I mean it's not a classic yet because it's only been out for a couple years but yeah. it's can, I can watch it over and over have you seen Encanto oh yeah so good oh yeah our kids love it and it is a tearjerker yeah yeah. The music's well, amazing. Thank you so much for joining. Thanks for having um, me. Look forward. We got to we got to bring you on for a longer episode yeah, I'm where all we over can kind of dig into something more topical, but thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of Nonstop Nonprofit. This podcast is brought to you by your friends at Fundraise, nonprofit fundraising software built by nonprofit people. If you'd like to continue the conversation, find me on LinkedIn or text me at 562 242 8160. And don't forget to get your next episode the second it hits the internets. Go to nonstopnonprofitpodcast.com and sign up for email notifications today. See you next time.